Well, uh, like I said, Christmas is almost here, and Christmas is a time of giving gifts. And uh, whenever I think about giving gifts, I'm always taken back to my grandma's house. So uh, for us, Christmas uh, Eve was a really important night growing up. My grandma would have all the family to her house, and she would really pull out all the stops. So we'd have dinner, we would have a birthday cake for Jesus, you know, it's Jesus' birthday after all. Uh, we would play games. Uh, it was just an amazing night. And at the, the highlight of the night was our family gift exchange. Now, our family, we were, uh, we are, we were and are devout Christians. Uh, you know, we all love Jesus. But at the time of the gift exchange, all of our Christian virtues went out the window. Because it was all about uh, competing. It was all about negotiation. Uh, really, we became strict capitalists at the gift exchange because you could, you, could, you could trade a gift up to three times. You could steal a gift up to three times. The third time, it was frozen. It had to stay there. And for the most part, it stayed under control. You know, there was no fights, no hurt feelings until it came to the, ca- the cash gift, which my grandma, every year, she would uh, put uh, money in a box. Everybody wanted that gift. Everybody wanted the cash. And so uh, I remember there was one Christmas Eve where the, the cash, it was passed uh, the third time, you know, it could be, stole, be stolen one more time, and, or the second time stolen one more time. And my, my aunt, who is normally a sweet, lovely uh, woman, she stole the cash from her daughter. And the daughter, it was super awkward. Like, she got mad. She was deeply offended. There was yelling, you know, at the gift exchange. They left early, upset. And my grandma, from that point on, said, no more gift exchange. It's over. It's too awkward. And I don't know about you, but I've always had conflicted emotions about the practice of gift giving on Christmas. You know, on the one hand, there's nothing better than giving a loved one a gift and seeing their eyes light up and they're filled with joy when you give them just the right thing. On the other hand, uh, for me at least, gift giving is always fraught with anxiety. I'm not a gift giver. I'm not really good at receiving gifts. I remember uh, when I was dating Anita, I was always nervous around Christmas time. You know, you're dating a woman, you're trying to get her you know, trying to woo her, you know, and of course Christmas is always very important. You always have to get the right gift. I remember shopping and shopping and going to the mall and going online looking for the perfect gift, and I would always end up giving her a gray t-shirt from the Gap. She was always underwhelmed by the gift. I don't know what it was, but I always had such anxiety about, about gift giving. And isn't, you know, there's already enough stress at Christmas time. Why add, you know, the perfect gift on top of everything else? And it always seems to me that gift giving promotes, you know, this, this materialism and this consumerism that's rampant at Christmas time. You know, you go to, like I said, you go to Walmart, it's crazy. Uh, somebody once said that, it, that when you go to the mall, the season of brotherly love turns into the season of brotherly shove, you know when you're at the mall. And so it seems to promote, you know, this kind of uh, shallow individualism. And isn't, isn't it kind of just a distraction, you know, all this gift giving, all this wrapping, you know, and putting gifts under the tree, doesn't it distract us from the true meaning of Christmas? Is it really important to add gift giving to the holiday season? Well, I think it actually is a very important part of Christmas. Because giving a gift is one, it's one of the ways to get us at the heart of what Christmas is all about. You see, at the heart of Christmas, uh, all around, underneath, uh, really at the heart of Christmas is an act of God's generosity. On Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that God has given us all that he has. 
that God has given us the greatest gift in his son, Jesus. John 3.16, a very famous passage, put it like this. That God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. That he gave his son to the world. And so at Christmas time, we, we stop and we acknowledge the incredible gift that God has, has given us uh, in Jesus. And so gift giving is entirely appropriate. And it really reminds us of, of, of what it means that God has given to us Jesus and how we can receive what he's given. You see, at the heart of Christmas is not just giving. You know, somebody said the spirit of Christmas is giving. Well, that's true. But Christmas is also about learning how to receive the gifts that God has given to you in Jesus. And so let's ask the question, uh, what has God given us in Jesus? Right, so Jesus is God's greatest gift we celebrate it at Christmas time. So what has God given us in Jesus? Uh, what are the blessings? What is the, what is the grace? What are the gifts that we have uh, to us as we, have get, as we have, what has God given to us in Jesus? Okay, we're gonna learn three things today from the book of John. And John 1 here, uh, the, the, the uh, gift language is all the way through this passage that God has given to us, God has given to us, and that we receive from him. It's all over John 1. You'll see it as we go through. We're going to see the three gifts that God has given to us in Christ. <clears throat> Number one, on Christmas time, God has given to us the gift of sonship. So listen to John 9. It says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, it says, verse 12, to all who did receive him and believed on his name, he gave the right, he gave the right to become children of God, who were not uh, born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The first gift that we have in Jesus is the gift of sonship is the gift of being part of God's family. Now somebody says, aren't we all children of God already without Jesus, right? You know, all of us are, you know, created by God. All of us are, uh, you, know, in, you know, God's creation, image of God. Aren't we all just kind of naturally God's children? Well, sort of. Uh, there is a place in John 7, or Acts, uh, Acts 17, where Paul is speaking to uh, Athenian philosophers, and he says, we are all God's offspring." Right, so by virtue of being God's creation, we are all uh, children of God in a sense, in a very general way. Uh, sort of in the same way that you could say that Henry Ford was the father of the Model T. Uh, Henry Ford invented the Model T, he uh, created the Model T. Uh, and so in some ways we are all generally God's offspring. And yet, in a very special way, in a very unique way, Jesus Christ enables us to be called children of God. It says that as a result of Jesus being born into the world, world, we are all given the right, he says, the power to be called children of God or sons of God. And this is an incredible privilege to be called sons of God. C.S. Lewis said that the son of God became a man so that men might become sons of God. Right, and so uh, we are, we're given this status, uh, we are given a legally conferred new identity because of what Jesus did. Almost like adoption, right? And so if you've ever adopted kids, you know that it's very costly to adopt a child into your family. And so what Jesus did is he comes into the world and he pays the price for our adoption, right? We were costly. And because of what Jesus Christ did by coming into the world, we all are brought into God's family, we all are given the right to be called God's children. 
And this is a, a status of love. And so John was enamored by this. And so later on in one of his letters, he says this, see what kind of love the Father, the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Right? This is a status of love. God loves you so much that he was willing to bring you into his family. Now, uh, what Jesus says later on in John 17, he says, Father, love them as you have loved me. What's this, what this means is that when God looks upon you, if you're a Christian, if you've received Jesus, God loves you with as much love as he loves Jesus. Right? He loves you with the same intensity and magnitude as he loves Jesus. This is a status of incredible love. Right? It's also a status of significance. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture of uh, JFK in the Oval Office. Have you guys seen that one? It's a black and white. It was in Time, Time Magazine. JFK is in there, and he's got all these dignitaries around him, and they're discussing some matter of, of uh, importance. And, and there in the picture, as they're all standing around JFK, under his desk, you see little uh, John Jr., right? JFK's son in the Oval Office. And somebody says, well, what is he doing there? He's not a dignity, dig, dignitary. He, what is he, does he belong there? yes. He has the right to be there. He is the son of the president. And Jesus Christ came to make us sons and daughters of God. This is a status. This is an identity of incredible magnitude. You have access into God's presence. He invites you in. He gives you his love. He gives you the power. He gives you the right to become children of God. This is what Jesus gives to us. And notice he gives it to us apart from, from any, uh, any effort at all. And so in verse uh, 12, it says, But to all who receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to be called children of God, who were born not of flesh or not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He says, you don't achieve this identity of sonship. It is a gift. It is something God gives you by grace. Uh, you don't work for it. You don't earn it. It's given to you. You are, you are born into God's family by the Spirit of God, and it's a gift of God's grace. You know, people are born, uh, and they contribute nothing to their own birth. Uh, you know, nobody is born because of their planning, right? Nobody is born because of their achievement. They're, you are born into the world because of somebody else's labor, right? And children of God, we're given that status not because of anything that we do, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us. This is a gift that God gives to you based upon what Jesus Christ did for you when he came into the world. Have you received this gift? Are you building your identity on this gift? You are a child of God. I heard last week that that you should never build your identity on anything that can be taken away from you. Right? Never build your identity on money. That could be taken away. Never build your identity on your achievement at work. Never build your identity on some relationship. I'm a mother. I'm a father. Build your identity on that which cannot be taken away. And so you should build your identity on the gift of sonship or daughtership. Right? This is a gift that cannot be taken away from you. It is a rock-solid identity because it's given to you not based upon anything you achieve or work for, Jesus Christ did this for you and offers it to you freely. So Jesus, number one, gives us the gift of sonship. Have you received that gift? Secondly, what else does does Jesus give us? Uh, He gives us not only the gift of sonship, but as the passage goes on, we learn that Jesus gave us the gift of solidarity. 
So notice, he says in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father. So notice he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This means that uh, in Jesus Christ, uh, the eternal God uh, became a human being. God, God came into this world. God, uh, through Jesus, immerses himself in our suffering and in our situations. Jesus Christ was born of flesh and blood. I love uh, what G- Eugene Peterson says about this in his uh, translation called The Message. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God moved into your neighborhood in Jesus. You know what this means? This means that God has given you the gift of solidarity. What is solidarity? It's when somebody can understand you. It's when, it's when somebody knows what you're going through. It's when somebody knows what it's like to be in your shoes and to be in the same boat. This is solidarity. And in the gospel, in the, the incarnation, God has given you the gift of knowing what it's like to be you. The word became flesh and moved into your neighborhood. Now, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been suffering, you've gone through some tragedy, or you're experiencing some hardship, and somebody comes to you and they, don't, they have no idea what it's like to be you, right? They, they, they offer you platitudes or they offer you advice and they don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. What an incredible gift it is when somebody, they, they love you and they know what it's like. You know, when you're suffering and somebody can come to you and say, you know what, I, I know what it's like, I've been there. I know what it's like to have somebody die of cancer. I know what it's like to have a terminal illness. I know what it's like to have a, a son or a daughter walk away from the faith. And I love you and I know you and I, could, and I can relate to you. That's solidarity. And here's the wonder of Christmas is that the God in heaven has become a man. He's immersed himself in our world and in our suffering and in our pain. He knows what it's like to be you. Went to the doctor uh, last year for an ingrown toenail. And uh, when I went there, I I wanted to just get medicine and go home. You see, I don't like the doctor. I get woozy at the sight of blood. It's too, you know... It's, you know, it's too uh, uh, clean, you know, and I ju- it just makes me kind of anxious to be at the doctor. I love doctors, by the way, because we have some doctors here. But I went for my ingrown toenail, and I, I wanted some medicine, and the doctor came in and said, you know what, it's so bad, I'm going to have to operate. And I said, operate? What do you mean? And he smiled, and he said, I'm going to cut off part of your toe. And I said, is it going to hurt? And he smiled again and said, Yeah. And so he put me on the operating table, and, you know, there I was, and the doctor was, he was rough on my foot, and at one point he actually cut away the toe, and he said, he said, Brent, look, look, and he, and he held up a piece of my bloody toe. And I got the sense in that moment that this was a doctor who had no idea what it was like to be on the other end of a scalpel. He didn't understand, and he couldn't relate, and therefore he had no compassion. And you doctors in this room, I know that you do have compassion. And here's what the gospel says, that only, only the Christian God, only the God of Jesus Christ knows what it's like. Every other God stays in heaven. But the Christian God immerses himself in the pain and suffering of this world. Uh, John Stott, I love what, John's, what John Stott said in his book on the cross. He says, I could never believe myself in God if it were not for the cross, if it weren't for the life and death of Jesus. 
in the real world, listen to this, in the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered into our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. Right? Some people know, but they don't care. And some people care, but they just don't know. But your God knows and he cares. He knows what it's like to to live in poverty. You know, your God knows what it's like to be a refugee. Your God knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Your God knows what it's like to be betrayed. Your God knows what it's like to undergo immense physical pain. Right? How compelling is this? God doesn't say, look, I'm up in heaven and I'll help you, but I'm gonna stay up here. I'll answer your prayers, but I'm gonna stay up here and I'll help you from a distance. No, only the Christian God immerses himself in the pain of this world. And therefore, uh, Hebrews 4 says this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right? What he's saying is like you could come to God. You could come to God as your great high priest because he knows what it's like to be a man. He knows what it's like to live in this world. And you don't have to be perfect. You, don't, you could come to God raw and open and say, God, this is how I feel. And he says, I know. I know what it's like. What a gift we have in God's solidarity. What a gift we have in knowing that God knows what it's like to be us. Jürgen Moltmann, who's a, he's a theologian, a German theologian, and uh, one of the reasons why he came to, the, to faith in Christianity was because of this, because of this gift. Uh, he was a, a soldier in the German army, ar- ar- army? army at the time of the Holocaust, <clears throat> and he was, uh, he was fighting for the wrong side, right, for, for Hitler. And uh, his, his troop was captured in a forest and he became a prisoner of war in uh, Great Britain. And, and there in the prison, he was miserable. And he was miserable not only because of the physical suffering of being in this, in this prison, but also because of the guilt of knowing what he had done. He was fighting for the wrong side. And the Brits, they put up pictures of people, of Jews suffering in concentration camps on his prison cell wall. And he said, I was miserable, I wanted to die, I wanted out of this life. But there was a chaplain in the prison that that gave him a Bible. And he says, I read through the whole Bible. And he said, none of it really caught me, none none of it really hit until I got to to the incarnation, to the solidarity that I have in Jesus. And this is what he writes. He says, then I came to the story of the passion, of the life and death of Jesus, and when I, read the, the, when I read Jesus' cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I knew with certainty this was someone who understands you. I began to understand the assailed Christ because I felt that he understood me. Uh, this was the divine brother in distress who takes the prisoners with him on the way to resurrection. I began to summon up the courage to live again, to seize that great hope. This early fellowship with Jesus, uh, the brother in suffering, and the redeemer of guilt has never left me. I've never decided for Christ, as some have often demanded of us, but I am sure that then and there, in that dark pit of my soul, he found me. Christ's 
God-forsakenness shows me where God is and where he would be in the future. He says, this is why I find Christianity so compelling. It's because of God's gift of solidarity. Here is a brother in distress. Here is a God who knows what it's like to be immersed in pain. And he says, I know where God's gonna be in my, my times of suffering. He showed me where he's gonna be. He's gonna be with me. So God gives us the gift of solidarity. God became a man. What a gift. So he gives us the gift of sonship, the gift of identity. He gives us the gift of solidarity. He knows what it's like. And finally, he gives us the gift of glory. <clears throat> Notice here, uh, this is kind of the heart of the passage. Uh, it goes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14, we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then down, down at 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So in the, in, at Christmas, in Jesus, God gives us the gift of glory. There's a backstory here. So uh, this, this passage is alluding to an Old Testament story about Moses. And it's a story where uh, Moses was at Mount Sinai, uh, you know, and, and the people of Israel were, were all around the mountain, and they're, they're all afraid of God. Nobody wants to approach God on the mountain, but Moses goes up on the mountain, and he walks through the cloud, and he communes with God up there on Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments, and God uh, says, uh, spoke to Moses as a man speaks to a friend. And so there is Moses up on the mountain getting comfortable with God. And at one point, Moses asks God a question. He says, God, uh, could I see your glory? God, I've been speaking with you all this time. I've heard your voice, but I want to see your glory. I want to see your beauty. I want to see what you look like. And what did God say to Moses? He says, no, you, you, can't, you can't see me. Nobody could look on the face of God and live. So no, Moses, you, you can't see my glory. But, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock, in a little cliff, and I'm going to cover you so, so that you don't see me, and I'm going to pass by. And when I pass by, I'm going to proclaim my glory to you. He says, you can't see my glory, but I'm going to tell you about it. And so do you remember that night, uh, God passes by Moses, and he speaks out his glory. He says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And so Moses hears about God's glory. But notice in this passage, what does John say? It would have been astounding to the people that read it. Because John says, here's what we have seen. We have seen what God didn't allow Moses to see. Right? We have looked upon what God did not allow Moses to look upon. Because when we looked at the face of Jesus, when we gazed into his eyes, we were gazing upon the very glory of God, full of grace and truth. God didn't just proclaim his name, slow to anger, abounding in love, uh, forgiving uh, from generation to generation. When they looked at Jesus, they saw the name of God embodied. They saw the glory of God in the face of a human being, the man Jesus. And John says, we looked upon him, and we saw that glory, glory, we saw that beauty, we saw that character embodied in this man. Oh, you should have seen it. It was incredible. But he says, but it was, didn't stop there. Not only did we just gaze on his beauty, 
What does it say? It says that from his fullness, from his beauty, we have all received grace upon grace. Moses, you couldn't see my glory. John says, oh yeah, we saw it. And not only did we see it, Jesus Christ imparted his glory to us. We received from his fullness grace upon grace. We received his glory. In other words, John is saying something astounding. He's saying the glory of God and the beauty of God in the face of Jesus, he then began to offer that to us. Jesus Christ offers us the inner life of God, God's glory. What does this mean? It means that that God's beauty and God's character can be formed in you. It means that because of what Jesus Christ has done, he's given you this gift. He's given you the, the, the power and the resources to begin to look like who God's created you to be. And it's not that a Christian musters up the power to say, look, I'm going to live the life that God wants me to live, and I'm going to be like Jesus. Yes, I'm going to follow him. It's not just that. It's that in Jesus Christ, because of the incarnation, God has imparted his life to us in Jesus. Here's my glory. Here's my life. It could come and dwell in you so that you can become the person I have always created you to be. One of my favorite athletes is Kelly Slater. Uh, he's a surfer. And, and, and what I love about Kelly Slater is that he's 46 years old, so he's an old, old guy like me, and the guy is still out there, you know, competing on the world circuit, circuit and surfing, you know, 20-foot waves. I mean, the guy is in incredible shape. And the other night, I was sitting by the fireplace, and I went to get up, and I hurt my back, and I groaned, oh, my back, oh, it hurts so much, and, and I was complaining to Anita about my back, and I said, I said, Anita, what? I said, you know, Kelly Slater would never do that. When Kelly Slater sits down on the fireplace, he gets back up again. He doesn't feel any pain at all. No, and I said, what if Kelly Slater could give some of that glory to me? What, just so, he's got too much of it. Just let some of it, give some of it to me. Well, here's the wonder of Christmas. God's glory doesn't stay with him. He offers it to you and he says, here, here is some power. Here is some Here's some vitality. Here's my inner life so that you can have resources to live the life that I've called you to live. You don't have to do it on your own. Receive from me. Here's my gift. I'm giving you my life and my power. Grace upon grace. Inexhaustible power in life. Jesus says, I offer it to you so that you could be the person that I've called you to be. Uh, Three gifts that God gives us at Christmas time. So, Uh, You know, Christmas is about this great gift, this generosity of of God in Jesus Christ. There are three things that he gives us. He gives us the gift of sonship. He gives us the gift of solidarity. He gives us the gift of glory. Application. So what do we do about this? Well, we'll notice in John here, there are two words that keep on repeating. God has given to us in Jesus, and then we have received from him. Here's the question. Here's the application. Have you received God's gift? Right, here, here's the wonder of Christmas is you don't have to earn anything. Right, it's not like at my Christmas party where we're all manipulating each other and trying to earn and achieve this gift, this cash gift. No, Christmas is all about God's free gift and all you need to do is receive it. You don't try to be a Christian. You don't work hard to be a child of God. To become a child of God, you just receive. And so have you received this gift? 
In other words, what John says is those who believed in him and those who received him, he gave the right to be called sons of God. So have you received the gift that God offers to you? Or let me ask it a different way. Are you receiving it? Are you receiving it? Right? The, the posture of Christmas is always a posture of receptivity. And what that means is that it, it, it's a posture of open hands to God and saying, God, I receive from you. I, I, I want this from you. I want your gifts. You know, this is what faith is, you know. Faith, faith is not some, some thing that you, that you muster up. It is not some some powerful thing that some people have and other people don't because of their ability. Faith is simply the empty hands held open for God to fill. This is faith. Have you received the gifts that God is offering you? Have you do you believe that you're a child of God? Have you received that, really? Are you communing with him? Are you receiving his solidarity with you? Are you asking him to fill you and enable you to live the, he's, the life he's called you to live? Are you open to him? Martin Luther said, we're all, we're all beggars. That is true. All of us are beggars when it comes to Christian faith. And the way God wants us to come to him is with, with open hands receiving his gifts. He's already done all the work for you. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. He gave his life for you. He, 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 he did the labor. He did all the work. And now he stands there and says, will you receive my gifts? I love what uh, John Gerstner said. He said, when it comes to faith, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. But most people don't have that. All you need is need. All you need is nothing. You don't come to God earning or achieving or saying, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna become good enough and then you'll love me. No, no, no. You come to God with open arms. This is faith. It is a posture of receptivity. And you say, God, Fill me. Because it's very difficult to give if you haven't received. You know, if, if you're empty, it's really hard to give out. And so on Christmas time, God says, let me fill you. Let me remind you of the identity that is yours. Let me remind you of the love that I have for you. Let, let me remind you of the power you've got. Let God fill you this morning so that from that fullness, you can give out grace upon grace the same way he's given to you. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come to you. We, we thank you for uh, the gifts that we have in Jesus. God, Christmas time um, is really a, a time to stop and reflect on, on the wonder and the enormity of, of the gift uh, that, that is offered to us in Jesus. God, I pray that you'd help us to be, to be aware of what you've given us. Help us, God, open our eyes to just the enormity of the, the blessings that we have in Jesus. God, I pray that we would receive from you, that we would have a posture of receptivity. God, that you would give us faith to say yes uh, to the gifts that you offer. Fill us up. God, fill us up. I pray that you would help us to feel uh, that we are loved so that we could give out love to others. Uh, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.